Screenless. Making a soundtrack. Opening scene and action. That's uh, that's an X. Uh, that's an E. Uh, that's an ampersand. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> Dan. An X Dan. again. That's a hey Gareth. Yeah, Dan. What are you doing? It's time for the podcast. I'm at the optometrist. I'm I'm sight reading. You're sight. So- <laughs> I'm, I'm just look look. Hang on. Just bear with me a minute. That's okay. That one's an A. Uh, I'll cover my left eye. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. I think you've got the wrong end of the stick again. Well, no, there's... there's I mean, come on, it's a 50-50 chance. There's only two ends of a stick. Hang on. Okay, so we've edited that bit out again. We have, yeah. Excellent, okay. So Rest assured, I promise we, you. Should we start properly then? Yeah, okay. But you're in the opticians? Yes, I'm in the opticians, because, you know, it's very important, eye health. I need to make yeah. sure that... Uh, <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. It's, it's hugely it important. Is. Especially for session musicians. Yes. I'd say, because they need to know what they're reading. They do, and that leads us quite nicely into... Uh, yeah, this week's episode. Anyway, um, uh, any news from Tristan? Uh, yeah, I got a text is? a minute ago. He said he was on his way over. Okay. Oh, what's that? Yeah. Hang on, hang on. Is that a hairdryer? It sounds like a hairdryer. <laughs> it's getting closer. Oh, okay. Oh. Allegro. <laughs> Allegro. Is that Tristan on Allegro. a Vespa shouting at it? <laughs> hey, Tris. Hey, guys. How you doing? How you doing? Hey, good, good. So, is this, um, uh... There's a lot of mirrors on that. Cool wheels. Nice wheels, yes. This Vespa thing of yours, this a new acquisition? I just bought it, bought it in Italy. I thought it'd be brilliant to bring it back from holiday, show you guys, possibly use it for the rest of the series. You rode it from Italy? Yeah, I rode it. I rode it on the, um, well, I tried riding it across the sea, but that uh, failed. Have you got some extra padding in your trousers? Seat doesn't look that comfortable, to be honest. That's a long trip to be sat on that seat. I'm used to it with the road bikes, like being sat on a credit card. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've all sat on a credit card. <laughs> oh. So we're all here. Yep. This week we are talking about the session musician. Ah, yes. The orchestral players who sit in the the sessions reading the scores that the guests so far have prepared. So, Tristan, you mentioned that this is possibly your favourite part now the score is being realised and it's coming to life. Yeah, I think without the orchestral player, it doesn't matter how good any of the other bits of work are. You know, if the composition is great, if the orchestration is great, if the copying is great, without the final piece of the jigsaw coming together, the creation can't be its best. But it can't be underestimated how skillful someone needs to be to go into an orchestral session, sit down and sight read part. Yeah, they've never seen it before. And and record it then and there. It's quite incredible. I kind of liken it to being a Formula One driver or something, an F1 driver. 
and going around the track without having seen it. To have that level of concentration for that long is quite something, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite interesting that you mentioned that, Gareth, actually, because Maxine mentioned that the main skill was to be able to go through intense periods of concentration to then doing completely nothing and then being really concentrated again and then doing nothing. Yeah, That's a skill that you would sort of overlook Mm. in that particular job role. And it's not for everyone. No, but it's obviously very important. Maxine explained everything really, really well in the chat. There were a couple of things which I don't suppose everyone will know about. First is, what is the LSO? The LSO is the London Symphony Orchestra. They're probably one of the finest orchestras there is Mm. globally, I would say. They've played on so many major film scores. They travel all over the world. Yeah, they're probably the pinnacle of orchestral playing. Yeah, agreed. And most people will know that, but some people might not who are listening. Uh, The other thing is, Maxine mentioned something called Star Wars. I don't know what that is. Uh, Anyone? Nope, no idea. No idea whatsoever. Okay, moving on. Shall we go behind the scenes then? Oh, Dan, do you have some uh, facts about Maxine? Of course I do. Okay, here we go then for our section called Fandango. Maxine studied at the Royal Academy of Music. She began her career touring with the Norwegian Chamber Orchestra while still in her first year of study there. She's the inventor of a fish and chip flavoured biscuit called Fiskit. In 2018, she was picked by the Musicians' Union as one of only five musicians to front their Musicians Behind the Moment campaign. She's a keen tap dancer and hula hooper. She adores everything Star Wars but hates panpipes with a passion. Her favourite colour is rainbow. Her amazing hair is valued at over 1.5 million and she once left a knife in the fork compartment of the cutlery tray for a full month. I'm not sure all that is true, is it, Dan? A 100% gospel. Okay, shall we go behind the scenes? Hey Maxine, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. So it's the day of uh, an orchestral soundtrack session. Can you talk us through what happens over the course of the day and perhaps who you come into contact with? I think the first point of contact, depending whether, if I'm in my own orchestra, I'll just sort of wander in and get myself settled. But if I was in a freelance capacity, I'd probably go and chat to the fixer just so they know that you've arrived. They always want to make sure if anyone's running late... But the first thing I would definitely go and do is see if there's any music on the stand yet. That's a really, really important thing. Sometimes there isn't. They haven't actually put the stuff out yet. But you would want to go and have a look because it just gives you an idea of whether it's going to be a roast up. If there's any sort of (laughs) solo specific for somebody. So at that moment, at least you've got half a chance to just get an idea. Most of the time it's stuff that's readable. But the first thing I would definitely do is go and have a check through the music on the stand, go and chat to people, grab yourself a drink, get yourself ready. The days are always really well structured. So a session is obviously, one session would be three hours. That entails a 15 minute break in the middle, which is the huge dash to the TQ for a lot of people. Big queue for the ladies' toilets and things. But it is pretty structured. So often days are, you know, two session days. So you've got your three hours with a 15 minute break. Then you've got lunch for an hour. And sometimes actually... They need to use lunch for a little bit of maybe a solo recording or something. But the days sort of race by in a way because of the structure of things. But uh, it's nice when the music's already there and you can just have a little look first. 
<laughs> a bit of pre-playing preparation. Definitely. So how does the preparation differ to an orchestral performance for a concert? The main thing is that you just can't prepare. And that's what makes session life exciting and tricky for some people. There's definitely a sort of knack to it. And having been in the LSO for 20-odd years, I've seen people come in and do their very first session and things and are quite shocked because, of course, you have no access to the music beforehand. If you're doing commercial recordings, that is. You might not even know what the project really is. They have usually a kind of working title, so you don't even know what it, you know, it could be obvious sometimes from a title that you think, okay, that's going to be a lot of notes and a lot of action scenes. But if it's just got some really vague title, you, you have no idea, really. So it is difficult because you really can't prepare. You can't go to the librarian like a concert and you think, oh, there's this big symphony or a contemporary piece and I need to practice it. So I will mm. check a few days before. When it comes to sessions, it's very much just turning up and sight reading on the day. And that's where the skill of it really lies. I've seen people get really stressed out about it when it's the mm. first time they've come in. And they're like, oh my God, you know, you're expected to just start recording straight away. And that's kind of the way it goes. And you do get into a rhythm of it. And it is a skill that you can kind of pick up tips along the way. It is fun. I enjoy it. The sort of unknown. You never quite know what you're going to get. <laughs> and do you find it quite nerve wracking or have you just sort of got over the fear of not knowing? It can be. It depends who's taking the session, really. If it's a really big, famous composer or a project, obviously you really want to do your best. And for musicians, most of our upbringing is very much to do with preparation so you know that you can be good because you've prepared. And if you're not good, it's because you probably haven't prepared and that's your own that's your own fault. But in the session world, of course, there is no chance. The music might have just literally been finished in the early hours of that morning. You're only literally getting it hot off the press. Sometimes it's still warm when it hits the music stand. So it is, it can be quite stressful and there are often million notes and you just think, oh my goodness. But then it just seems to kind of work. People really bring all their sight reading capacity forward and you just engage your brain. So you're sort of like thinking so fast. That's certainly <laughs> my experience in some things. But I like that anyway. I like it when it's more of a challenge than if it's something that is quite basic. And all of our guests have mentioned the skill of the players and how important that is to the whole process. It's a given that you're a talented player, but what other skills are required to do the job? I think definitely, a, say, a sight reading skill, like I said, because you really are having to wing it and just look at pages and work out very, very quickly what the tricks that might trip you up are, changes of tempo, changes of key, moments where things that you don't have the luxury of time to just, you're going to have to, within two minutes, make a take of it. So you do have to be quite fast in the way that you look at things, even if you're looking at it in a way of mathematics and just quickly working out the structure of stuff. 
You also need, I guess, you need to be the sort of person that can switch very quickly from being very concentrated to sitting and not really doing very much then for 20 minutes. That's quite, that can be quite tricky actually, because in a rehearsal situation, you're generally quite on it all the time because chances are you're involved in every aspect through the rehearsal. But in a session, it could be that it's strings doing a few takes and you're really using your concentration. And then they might say, okay, time for woodwind and brass. You kind of just have to sit there and sort of zone out. But yet any moment they could say, right, strings again. And 20 seconds later, you have to be kind of back in the room and playing your heart out. There's no time for sort of like, let's just warm back into that. And that could be the take. So I think that is quite a skill in a way. And it's why some people don't particularly like doing sessions because there is this element of sort of hanging around Mm. and then having to just be totally warmed up when you haven't actually maybe touched your instrument for half an hour Mm. and have to sort of produce something that is world class. So I think those are probably the biggest skills required and also the, the ability, I guess, to perform under intense pressure, because if you can't do that, then I guess you'll be out the door straight away, won't you? Yeah, you have to be able to just bring it. I'm lucky. I'm a violinist. I'm part of a section. I'm always in absolute awe of principles that suddenly just got some incredibly difficult solo that's been placed in front of you. And you just have to deliver the goods. That's mm. why these people are in those seats, obviously. But it's still an immense amount of pressure, you know how many people you know potentially are going to hear this recording of a film or tv or whatever but in a rehearsal yeah you could be not quite because it's not the concert but in a recording you're aware that every single second that's recorded could be Mm. the take that's used so you have to be just really with it and nobody wants to be the one who says well sorry I need to do that take again because I don't think Mm. I played very well it's just trying to really give a hundred percent all the time yeah you tend to find you're really tired after session days and even if you haven't played a lot it is the concentration of sitting Mm. there that is actually more tiring than playing through symphonies in a rehearsal I think with a concert piece you often have hours upon hours of rehearsal you don't get that luxury as a session musician very often you're seeing the score for the first time on the day so what are you looking for from the conductor during a session a lot of people ask this question because of course we're wearing the headset as soon as people see that you've got this huge headset on they're usually like so you don't have a conductor then and you have to say well yes we do actually and they're like well what's the point of that then if everybody's just like (laughs) listening to the metronome beats is the is the conductor completely superfluous but actually it is a really important role you still need to keep an eye out well I certainly do especially if it's if it's a complicated track with different tempi and different type signatures I like to just keep my eye out so that I know I'm in the right place almost it's like a traffic police person who's just keeping everything in place but Essentially, that person, whether it's a conductor who's booked for the session or if it's the composer themselves, it's such a vital link between what we're doing and what they're hearing in the box, what the producer is asking. So the conductor is able then to tell us how to perhaps approach something. If the producer's saying, look, I'm hearing too much of this, too much of that, or it's sounding late, certain players are sounding late, then it's the conductor's job to make it all work for us because 
as I said, we are sitting there with headphones on and your first priority is to kind of to stay with the tempo. You're not necessarily playing as an orchestra like you usually would, this element of really listening to each other because it's such a huge space. If you're in Abbey Road Studio One, mm. you can't possibly be in tune with the tuba player or something who's half a mile away. So the conductor does take on a role very much of expressing to us what needs to be done and also just very quick changes. <laughs> no offence, sometimes there's there's mistakes in the parts. So at least you can, <laughs> you can at least quickly say, is this correct? Is this right? There's no dynamic. So yeah. the conductor is really there, if not holding it together tempo-wise, which is not necessarily, is providing a very essential role still. It's interesting that you mentioned having headphones on and having click in your headphones. I guess that's another important skill, isn't it? Being able to play very naturally to something clicking in your ear. That's quite an unnatural thing, isn't it? It is. It's hard. It's it's easier if it's something that is fast and maybe robotic, action scenes and stuff. So it's just keeping you in tempo. But the moment you have anything expressive that's slow, it's very difficult because it can feel very anti-musical. It can feel like you're not able to quite take maybe the time you particularly wanted so it can feel like a straight jacket sometimes mm. but I always find it quite interesting to hear after and you think it didn't sound like that at all but it is obviously necessary and I've done sessions where sometimes you've had to have very variable click and it's very very difficult because it, it doesn't stay the same for one bar to the next but it's much easier if it's just rhythmic passages and it's just keeping everybody yeah. completely in time rather than an element of trying to express because everybody has their own element of musicality they want to bring to the table but suddenly you're like oh no I just got behind the click there and you're kind of having to catch up <laughs> <laughs> and you actually have to really concentrate on listening to it because it's very mm. easy to just forget it's there or zone it out. So you mentioned some problems sometimes occurring in the parts we spoke with someone you know, copyist Jill Streeter, about what she does before a session to make the parts easy to read. So what do you like to see when you sit down in a session? Oh, Jill is an amazing, absolute legend with all this copying. What we like to see is just basically stuff that's really clear and with relevant markings, but nothing too over the top. I mean, it sounds like we're being really picky, because questions will always invariably be asked. If there's a missing dynamic, people will be like, are we still supposed to remain the dynamic we were five bars ago? Mm. Or is, are we supposed to come in at a different type of dynamic? It has really improved actually over the years. It's quite rare for people to really have to question anything that's happening. And I think probably the biggest bugbear is difficult page turns for people within sessions but then again people in the box are always very happy to say look let's let's take a run until say bar 88 and then let's turn our pages and restart so there's always a way around it but it is nice when music has been copied out really intelligently I know sometimes people moan because we have a lot of pages because file in yeah. one and two gets exactly the same. Yeah. And people have often said, oh, that, you know, why can't we just have our own part and then we don't have to have so many turns? But of course, I, I think the reasoning is 
sometimes composers say, well, actually, in bar 13, can the seconds join the first there? And then there's yeah. there's no need for some run to go running or for us to take a dictation, which has happened before, yeah. and it's really slow once you start getting yeah. into that. So I think it's just people really like to see some clarity because recordings are always under some element of time pressure. So once questions start being asked, it can really make things just grind to a complete halt. The one question of is that a piano, a mezzo piano, can just open up a whole can of worms with people starting, oh yeah, but then is this that? And, <laughs> you know, it's always great when you see like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. It's very obvious and we can just do the job without having to ask too many questions. And has there been a session that you've worked on that's just kept you smiling all the way through? I definitely really, really, really enjoyed a session. It must have been a couple of years ago. We recorded new backing tracks to Ella Fitzgerald, old recordings. We had some amazing orchestral arrangements, some of them by Calandrelli, wonderful man and they were so lush and rich and it was a real joy to play them but what happened was of course it wasn't click tracked we had to listen to the original voice recordings so we spent all day with like Ella Fitzgerald in the headset which was really loved everyone loved it we were all like just sort of swaying around it was quite difficult because of course it's not like she's singing to any form of time Mm. so often we'd have to listen to a few bars try and remember what happened and then work it out ourselves and actually we did something recently well more last year and it was a Bing Crosby same kind of thing it was a Christmas album and I specifically remember because we were recording in July which is usually what happens with Christmas albums the heat of the height of the summer and I remember bringing a little Christmas Santa hat and everyone just thought I was a bit nuts but again we were listening to Bing Crosby singing White Christmas and playing some new lush arrangements which were great. But of course, he's another one who, you know, these singers, they don't stick to any kind of form. Really, they're singing around the accompaniment. But those two particular days, I remember thinking, well, this is just a complete joy Mm. to participate on new arrangements with such legendary voices. That sounds fantastic. What was your journey to becoming an orchestral session player? Well, I'm really lucky because I always wanted to be in the London Symphony Orchestra. And probably the first thing I was aware that the LSO did, of course, was Star Wars, the famous soundtrack recordings. So my original idea of being in the LSO was very much to do with their work in the studio, funnily enough. It wasn't ever an idea of of mine to say, I want to be a session player, but I like very much being in the LSO because it affords you a sort of way of being, you know, you can be on the concert platform, you can be in a studio. We have quite a varied life with our music. I don't think I could just do one or the other, but I think they both really complement each other. So I was very, very lucky to have that realisation very early on that I wanted to be in the LSO very much through my dad playing Star Wars recordings and me thinking like, what's that? And I'd look at the recording sleeve and I'd be like, oh, London Symphony Orchestra. So it was always in my mind. 
And when I did first recordings, and actually some of the very first sessions I did were Star Wars 1999, 2001, things like that. And then you have to kind of learn how the session world works as well, because obviously it's not a case of sitting down and recording from the start to the end of a film. It's nothing like that at all. And the process is much longer than I think most people kind of realise. My violin teacher when I was at the Royal Academy of Music was... Um, Eric Grunberg, who sadly just passed away last month, but he was famous for playing on sessions with the Beatles at Abbey Road and things like that. Wow. And he sort of talked to me, and I talked earlier about sight reading and being able to adapt very quickly. And I remember we did a bit of sight reading practice in a lesson, and I thought, oh, I'm not too bad at this sight reading lark. And and he was sort of like, how far ahead are you looking? And I said, well, I'm like in the next, when I'm playing, I'm already in the next bar looking. And he said, that's no good. You need to be at least four lines ahead. Wow. And he's right. You need, And this is what I mean about scanning the parts before you even start. You really need to have looked to see what is coming, what is, I mean, he was famously good at sight reading anything. I remember that very clearly because it is, very much about being clued up and being very quick and looking ahead at what is coming. He very much helped me in that respect. Fantastic. It's all about having good mentors and good teachers, isn't it? Mm, Yeah. It's just, it's so important. And how do you like to enjoy the finished TV programme or film, if at all? I'm a big fan of um, films. So generally I would, if it's something that has piqued my interest, I will go and see it. And I'll be really interested to hear how it all sounds. Sometimes you get surprises. One time I specifically remember we got a callback session on a Harry Potter film. It was probably the last one, actually. You've kind of done the film and maybe a week or two weeks later, they say, actually, we need to just tweak something. And we spent a long time actually on one scene. Obviously the director producer had very differing ideas of how they wanted the music to fit with the narrative. And when we first recorded it, I remember it was quite symphonic. When we came back to it, it was very, very pared back. Very, very like solo strings kind of thing. And when I saw it in the cinema, there was no music at all. And I remember thinking, we spent a long time doing this, actually. But it actually made a lot of sense to me because obviously everybody's seen Harry Potter films. Music runs almost throughout every film. It's such a huge part of the whole franchise of films. It's it's one of those things. And actually to just take music away from that minute, if it was even one minute, it just made it more yeah. obvious and it made it more poignant in a way but I remember at the time thinking oh hello I was like so I wanted to look around the cinema and say like excuse me <laughs> we spent a lot of time on this and I don't know what's happened <laughs> so I do love watching films and obviously it's not happening right now but whenever the orchestra's on long-haul flights there will always be a film that's playing that we'll have recorded for. Yeah. Not that it's the best scenario to hit listen or watch <laughs> something, but they'll be like, oh, 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 we just recorded Shape of Water. Now we can just watch it on the flight and things like that. So I, I do like to uh, see how it all fit together. 
and see how things that maybe I thought didn't work or it wasn't my cup of tea. And actually, when you watch the whole thing in its entirety, it gives you a different perspective. Well, thank you so much for joining us all for a chat today. It's been just so cool. This has been one that's been on my list for a while uh, as (laughs) a particular favourite. I was talking to Gareth and Dan yesterday and saying this episode here is really where the magic happens because it's all well and good having great compositions and great orchestrations, but it really needs people like you to put it all together. Yeah, it's been a joy listening to you speak. So thank you again. Oh, thank you. I've very much enjoyed talking about it. What a marvellous chat that was. Thank you, Tristan, for another amazing interview. Yeah, well done, Tris. So Maxine mentioned there that being a session musician and sight reading to that level is clearly not for everyone. Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a big skill. As she says, you can, you know, practice it and, and get better at it. I knew I was never going to be a fantastic sight reader, so it wasn't anything that I particularly aimed for. What she said about being four lines ahead, that's mm. just to have that level of memory. Yeah, yeah. amazing memory. Instant memory as well. Crazy. I think what's what's interesting as well is it's it's all well and good being a good reader of music but to actually be able to read it and translate it to your instrument at the highest possible level yeah is a completely new skill in itself that yeah. is just unbelievable to be able to do that and to be able to soak up all that pressure at the session and to be able to recreate it as well so that you do one take and that might be fantastic but then oh actually heard something that wasn't quite right over there can we have another go at it and mm. being able to recreate that again yeah on the spot and playing naturally to a click which as we all know is very difficult i mean yeah normally if i'm like recording in a guitar part or something at home all you can hear is <gasps> <gasps> suddenly i become the world's <laughs> loudest breather so like, how did that happen <laughs> maybe someone living in your walls tristan i'm not sure <laughs> That's quite worrying, isn't it? It was also great that Maxine echoed what Matt said in the Conductor episode about the Conductor being the link between the box where it's the recording's happening and the orchestra. Yeah. And that even though there's a click in her ear, she still needs that physical mm. interface between what they're yeah. doing in the box. Yeah, it's having that person there to be sort of the spearhead of the whole operation. So he's representing all of those players and making sure if anything crops up, he can deal with it. It does seem like the conductor has a massive pressure on them yeah. and a, a huge responsibility, actually, both ways. Yeah. If the conductor fails in their role... Everything can fall apart. Everything can fall apart really quick. Yeah. yeah, definitely. There is a big link. I would say that's the biggest link we've had so far between the player and the, the, the conductor. You know, what Maxine was saying almost exactly somehow replicated Matt Dunkley's words. It was almost as if she was in the room when we had the conversation because everything yeah. she was saying seemed to match yeah. up completely with what Matt said. So that was the orchestral player, Maxine Kwok. Uh, next time we'll be speaking to a recording engineer. Is, uh, is that a wrap? Oh, actually, do you know what? I think I can just make out the bottom line of the test now, you know, the eye test, you know, all all the letters. I think I can just about, it says, that's a wrap. (laughs) Yay. That's a wrap. How do you find us? Makingasoundtrack.com will tell you all you need to know, links to the podcast, social media links, and there's information about us too. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would make our day if you could give us a positive rating or review. Details of that are at makingasoundtrack.com. 
And if you enjoyed this episode, hit the share button and recommend it to someone. That's all for now. We will be back next time with the recording engineer. Yeah. See you next time. Bye for now. So they're in the box recording, making sure all the... Cardboard box. uh, (laughs) They're in a cardboard box. What's in the box? What's in the box? (laughs) Is, uh, Is that a wrap? Don't know, maybe.